Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. So welcome, everybody. Today I'm speaking with Wolf Gorlick. Uh, did I pronounce it uh, correctly? You nailed it. <laughs> yeah. And Wolf is a cybersecurity strategist. Um, you know, I, I've looked at my, like, the bio, the research notes that I have, and I looked at your uh, blog and LinkedIn page, and I see you've been around uh, for a long time, been doing a lot of uh, a lot of stuff, creating a lot of content as well. I see that uh, among others, you co-founded the OASP uh, chapter out of Detroit, Michigan. You also uh, organize and maybe host some B-sides uh, conferences as well. I know you've been uh, in some uh, high-level consulting position, um, you know, to the extent of ver- ver- VP, security officer, uh, VP of technology services. Uh, and again, as I mentioned, I, I did notice that you have a blog and actually drilling into the, the, that blog, I saw that you started writing as back as 2002, <laughs> which is... It's, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Pretty impressive, I would say. I mean, to have the perseverance and uh, the patience, mostly, to do that. Uh, so very happy to have you on board uh, as part of our uh, CISO's Insider podcast. And before I butcher your resume anymore, uh, I, I, <laughs> I do understand that your current position that you hold is uh, an advisory CISO for uh, Cisco. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, that's where I'm at now. Okay, great. So maybe this is uh, the perfect time where you can move in and introduce yourself and then we can get started. Yeah, I, I think you hit on all the high notes. You know, what was interesting was the movie Hackers was in the movie theater, right? It was in the movie theater. It was just came out when I had my first uh, first role that led to me leading IT uh, in, in a hospital. And so it's it's been a long ride. It's been a long ride. And I used to think that was cool. Like hackers was a thing when I got started. But then now we're like the 20th anniversary of hackers. <laughs> I start to feel feel a bit old. But it's it's been a really good ride in security. It's been a good ride um, in, in IT. And uh, I've definitely picked up a few things along the way. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation and sharing some thoughts with your audience. Yeah, and thank you for that. So the movie Hackers, that's, I might be confusing that with, uh, so was there a movie called Swordfish at some point? Or is that or oh. is this the same one? Yeah, yeah, so thank you, Swordfish. If it was Swordfish, it would make me feel younger. No, Swordfish was a, <laughs> it was uh, was out there, um, I, I want to say like five years later, six years later. Okay. And uh, that was one that was roundly panned because the hacking was, was so over the top comical. One point in time, Hugh Jackman is pounding on the keyboards, yeah. standing uh, up and going, yeah, and making these cubes come together. And that <laughs> apparently made malware, which yeah. is, I'm, I'm reliably told, is how Logforge works. There's just cubes and 
<laughs> a lot of pounding. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I'm looking at the uh, at the cast pictures of hackers, I definitely saw that movie, but that was a long time ago. So I recognize uh, the actors and you know some of the scenes there, but uh, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna need uh, to rewatch it because I can't remember the the plot too well. Although I can extrapolate, I can guess what it is about. <laughs> uh, but anyway uh let's yeah let's uh try to focus because if we, if we start talking about uh geeky stuff i'm can only assume that you're a tracky fan as well or maybe star wars and if we get talking about that we won't have any you know uh any professional content here so <laughs> uh great so yeah let's get started I, and i always like to start off by asking a couple of icebreaker questions my two go-to questions are What's your marital status and what's your favorite drink if you're if you care to share about that? So I, I got married a few years ago for the second time. And uh, my wife is a sex therapist. I'm of course a hacker. And so we we threw this wedding, which was a circus. We brought everyone in, everyone sat down expecting something traditional, and then the airless came down. We had alligators and boa constrictors on stage. It was crazy. But what was really funny was the mix of the cultures. I had someone come up to me uh, in the line when they're congratulating us. Uh, one of my wife's friends who said, you know, I don't, I don't know who you guys invited, but one of the guys out there is talking about breaking into an ATM. I just think you should be away. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, fine. I'm sure that's just his day job. So yeah, ha happily married for the past few years. And uh, favorite drink, favorite drink. Um, you know, old fashions are, are a good go-to. Um, Sazerac, if they've got a good bar. Um, when I'm overseas, absinthe. Uh, so, I, I, you know, round, round in that, uh, that category. Okay. Love me a good cocktail. Got it. Great. Thank you for sharing. Uh, so, yeah, let's dive right in. And, um, and actually, before we do that, so the, the, the intent of this podcast is to, you know, provide some quality content to our listeners. Uh, and what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to uh, basically speak to a lot of uh, leading CISOs in the industry here in the U.S., trying to learn more about their journey and their path to the current role of the CISO. Um, and the, you know, the discussion should revolve more about you and your journey. And I'm not interested in anything super technical. I'm not interested in anything about the company that you're currently uh, working with or even any, any previous co companies, I'm more interested in the experiences and the, the path that led you to, to the place you are right now, if that makes sense. Got it. Great. So, uh, yeah, uh, for those of you, of you that just listened, he nodded his head, so I'm good to go. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> we, we keep forgetting that audio video, you know, because they're two separate uh, recordings. But anyway, uh, if there's one thing that you wish you had known before you begin your career, what would that be? So I want to give you two things because they, they go together. The first thing I wish I had known is that I didn't need to know everything. Um, when, I, when I got in, originally I thought, oh, well, the way you make sure that you're never vulnerable is you know all the vulnerabilities in your code, right? You know all the configurations of your system. You know all the IT. So I had spent a lot of time in my early days trying to keep up on vulnerabilities, keep up on systems, keep up on what was going on in the, the broader universe. I had my RSS feeds all configured 
and uh, had plenty of news. And I, I just felt like I couldn't keep up on it. I felt like I could not fully wrap my hands around it. I started thinking, you know, I mean, surely other people are doing this, right? If you're if you're a security officer, you know every nut and bolt of your ship, I told myself erroneously. And so at one point in time, uh, I stopped and I added it up and I realized, and this number has only grown, I realized that for every day, every one day uh, in the office, I was getting the equivalent of about four days worth of research and materials and things I need to learn. I'm like this, no wonder I can't keep up. Every day I get way more than I can possibly wrap my hands around. The very first thing I learned is you really need to prioritize. I think a lot of us who came in to security and leadership from a technical track did so because we're really good at technology, right? We're really good at making the machine sing. And uh, it's very hard to let that go. <laughs> so that's the first thing I learned. The second thing I learned is when I, when I realized that and I, I overcorrected, um, I started really working heavily on risk management. And I think a lot of CISOs today talk about uh, risk management and security being all about risk. And uh, it's interesting because we got really excited about risk and speaking the language of the business to communicate what was going on because we we're speaking the language of technology and being very technical and it wasn't getting anywhere. So we then took our very technical minds and our mindset and applied it to risk. And then you get fair and you get active and you get everything else. Um, and then went back to the business where we explained risk prioritization tables and risk matrices and everything. And very quickly, the same business that had glazed over <laughs> yeah. in terms of executive leadership and the board glazed over when we're talking tech, glazed over when we're talking risk. So one of the areas today that I'm working on a lot is, is how do you communicate risk without making it overly technical and really understand the psychology of people because the psychology angle, what people glom onto, how you get things done, so much more important than a risk matrix, so much more important than knowing the bits and bytes of every CVE in your network. Yeah. And I know you mentioned the FAIR, the FAIR framework. Um, and I know that's one of, uh, of a few that uh, try to quantify the risks and in, in a language that business understand, basically dollar sign. And yeah, I mean, I also found out uh, early on that uh, if you just talk about, so, I mean, if we look at the risk management and risk assessments, like uh, going back 20 years, I think the, the frameworks that we were using back then are not, I mean, they're not that different right now, but I think there is more understanding at the higher business or leadership le level that you need to be able to be able to communicate the risks in a, in a language that the business understand. And again, this goes back to, to understanding the risk in terms of money or loss of, of. and um, yeah, I'm curious to, you know, learn more about that if, if we, if we have the time in, because I know for a fact that this is one of the disconnects that there are in the market still. Uh, although CISOs are doing a better job right now, I, I feel. Uh, but yeah, please go ahead. I will say just as, as, a, as a, a, a side note, one of the talks I'm giving at RSA in San Francisco in 2022 is on this very topic, looking at the psychology of risk and everything we learned from the pandemic. 
um, the talk's called Hindsight 2020, and really figuring out, okay, what can we learn about how people interpret risk and act so we can apply it to, to cybersecurity? So I think it's a, a fascinating topic um, and, and really one that uh, is sort of on the leading edge of, uh, of being a CISO. How do you communicate and get action? And thank you for that uh, overview. Um... So talking about, you know, a bit about your past, I always like to try and, again, learn more. And I think, personally, the, the best way to learn uh, for me is out of my, based out of my failures. And I always like to ask the question, what's your biggest failure if, if you had one and what did you learn from it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was a security officer for a money management firm. And uh, the firm was going through acquisition. I just didn't have it in me to unplug and undo everything that I'd built. Uh, so I, I took an early exit and I went to consulting and I thought, hey, this will be wonderful. I'm going to fix everything that I don't like about security. I'm going to, to uh, build a diverse workforce. I'm going to hire all my friends who are amazing. I'm going to, uh, to bring in people who speak to the community and are engaged and are active on Twitter and user groups and everything. Um, I am I am going to uh, you know speak to our sales team about what CISOs care about, so they don't do what salespeople do. And, and so I, I came in with this whole big laundry list of things, and I tried to do them all at once. <laughs> and about uh, a year and a half later, it became readily apparent that we were growing much faster. Um, than the CEO of the company was comfortable with, um, and that there was a, a big values um, disconnect, right? The, the culture that the CEO was used to versus the culture that I was trying to create didn't match up. Our values weren't aligned, and it created significant amounts of friction, uh, including the fact that, or on top of the fact that, I was trying to push so many things forward so fast. Um, so I, of all my... Various things, you know, have, have I went through breaches? Sure. Um, have, I, have I seen organizations uh, be fished? Sure. Have I been fished? Sure. <laughs> Projects not went through? A, yes. There's been a number of them. But that big disconnect between what matters to me and what matters to my leadership and that big disconnect about what the culture should look like um, is the, the biggest failure and the biggest learning. And from then on, I, I will not work for organizations where I don't have really good crisp alignment with my leadership team uh, on things that are very important to me. Yeah. So just to clarify, do you think the, the disconnect stemmed mostly from the fact that you weren't aligned with the business values or business goals? Or is did the disconnect stem from the fact that the culture did not fit? Yeah, I think uh, both. I think there was a misalignment with the CEO's values and perspective in mind, um, which whenever your, your executive is on a different page than you, that is never a good sign. Uh, and then the culture that the company had before I came in versus the culture I was trying to build were, were radically different. Um, and so if you don't have that top-down support, it's very hard to, to build a, a type of culture that... Um, may be a little bit different than what typical security companies look like or typical security teams look like. Yep. 
I, I couldn't agree more uh, about that. Um, and having spoken about that a bit, about you know what you perceive as a failure, what would you say your biggest accomplishment was? Ah, so right after that, <laughs> what, one of the things that has been near and dear to my heart is mentoring and coaching and opening up paths for people into this industry. Uh, I think security is a wonderful industry. Um, I think the problems are very mentally challenging. It's a great way to get into uh, a state of flow. It's a great way to feel rewarded. It pays well. Um, generally, the people you work with are great people. So there's a lot of love that I have for the security community. There's a lot of love I have for the security industry. And so coming out of uh, my greatest failure, I took some of those learnings and, uh, and I built an apprenticeship uh, in a, another security company. So I, I built some security practices around IEM and GRC, um, data protection, security practices around CISO advisory. But the thing that I was the most proud of was we built this little apprenticeship and we put 67 people through it um, hmm. where we hired based on culture and values. We hired based on personality. Uh, and then we put our money where our mouth was and we trained these people. We gave them real world experiences, um, found ways to uh, make the work scalable so that you could come out of college and go right to work. It was really, really rewarding. And I missed it a lot. Yeah, um, sounds like a big accomplishment. You know, uh, I can tell you that for myself, when we built the, uh, the internal penetration testing team at, uh, at my company, uh, you know, it's been a challenge and it took us probably two years to get that stabilized. But um, I think the, at the core right now, it's probably one of the more, more professional teams I've encountered. And, you know, we already have the system to, you know, keep training them and then the newcomers. I'm assuming some of our listeners are just uh, either noobs in, in the cybersecurity space or maybe uh, you know, just coming to grip in with all, you know, that's going around in this space. If there's any piece of advice that you could give someone who wants to pursue a career similar to yours, uh, what would that be? So I think the, the first piece of advice is I would give is don't pursue a career similar to mine. <laughs> you yeah. know, so, so much has changed since the nineties, right? So much has changed, um, that a lot of the, the old guard rules about, Oh, just show up and, you know, hang out on a BBS and someone will recognize you and, and pull you in. And a lot of those old guard rules have changed. Um, but some of the fundamentals haven't, I, I think, um, you know, passion gets a, a bad rap in our industry sometimes, but I do think you really need to want to be here and enjoy what you're doing. And I think part of it is following your nose for what you enjoy. In every single position, I've been like, all right, here's the 10 things I'm doing. Here's the three that I rock at and I enjoy. Here's the seven I don't. What am I doing with these seven? Because I want to do these three. So following, following your nose for passion, um, saying yes, right? There's so many opportunities out there that you need to, to dive in. And, and take advantage of them and help out uh, where you can. So following your passion, saying yes to opportunities, uh, keeping sharp. And that means not only mentally sharp, so you should be training and, and whatnot, but also physically sharp. 
I think our industry oftentimes undervalues that. Uh, hacker fit has, has become a, a hashtag, which is good, <laughs> but staying mentally and physically active is, is so critical, as well as balancing that out so you don't work yourself into the ground, right? Having good, good balance and taking breaks. Um, and then the final one is uh, contribute. So whatever level that makes sense, but give back to those who are climbing the ladder behind you. Um, lend a hand out to those who are in the same level you are. Um, be active in, in your user communities and, uh, you know, and whatnot. I think a, a really good professional who follows what they're excited about, says yes to opportunities, stays sharp mentally and physically, and then contributes back raises the the pool for the entire community and the entire industry yeah and and i think one of the things that you'll learn as uh, you mature and you you know and you get more interactive with the community is that this is relatively still a small community even though it's global even though it has a lot of uh, you know professionals from all around the world but at the end of the day I mean, you get noticed and and if you give back, you get noticed more and, you know, and it's never bad to give back as, you know, as much as you can. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's a great uh, takeaway out of that. Um, so I wanted to ask you um, a couple of questions about um, the role of the CISO nowadays as opposed to where, you know, where you envision it to be in a few years. So let's talk about one of the, the basic ones, like, you know, the role of the CISO that's part of an IT organization. Um, because, you know, in some organizations, a CISO might report to a higher leadership position. In others, it might report into an IT level leadership role. What are your thoughts about that? What are the pros and cons to each approach? Yeah, this is, this is something that gets brought up a lot. And I think... The first part is wherever you are, you being the listener uh, in your career, there is an opportunity for you to improve the security of your organization. And there's an opportunity for you to improve yourself. Um, and that goes for anyone, right? If you're a developer, if you're on the help desk, if you're an IT engineer, if you're in, in, uh, in management, your director or uh, officer level position, you have the ability to affect change and you should focus first on where am, am I at and how do I make this environment better? So, you know, a lot of folks will say, oh, CISO can't be effective in IT. And there certainly are some drawbacks. Um, we, um, when we look at uh, the security outcomes of uh, organizations, there's a, a recent study that uh, looked at around 5,000 uh, different security professionals and looked at the outcomes that they're receiving, the behaviors that they're performing. Board level reporting is, is really top of that. Organizations, let's take something like business continuity. Organizations that have really strong business continuity programs have leaders in that program who have board level reporting and, and board level oversight. By far, I mean, incredibly increased uh, efficacy of that program. So there are certainly challenges to being part of IT if you don't have that visibility. There's certainly challenges to being part of IT if you don't have a dedicated budget. And you, and if you're your organ, you know, if you are um, arguing and fighting for for budget, well, you know, clearly you're not going to be as effective. So 
Is it better to be direct? Yeah, yeah, I think it, it is insofar as having that visibility, having a dedicated budget, having a dedicated staff, being able to affect change. Um, however, if you're not, you shouldn't be concerned that you can't do a good job. I know plenty of CISOs who are in the IT chain of command to, who are very effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I know as well a few of those. Um, okay. What would you say are the best resources that have helped you along the way? Oh, people by far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> being, being networked and uh, communicating with, uh, with peers, with, with folks up and down the chain. Uh, very, very often I'll run into a problem and, and I'll reach out and be like, hey, who's, who's the expert in this? And someone will be like, oh, you should talk to this person. And then we have this great conversation about what they're doing and what's excellent and everything. And I can glean some information. There's a, there's a lot of books out there. There's, there's a lot of papers uh, being produced in the scientific side of things. There's a lot of really good research uh, being produced now uh, from people like the Scientia Institute and others. Um, so there's tons of data to read, but the contextualization and application of it is, is really the last mile. So can, can you take that document, can you take that report and then act on it? And oftentimes I find the best way to do that is to talk to someone who's doing it well and learn from them. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks. Uh, is there one uh, myth or common myth that you wanted to debunk about our profession or space? You know, I like the myths. <laughs> someone someone asked me how do i explain cybersecurity over the holidays i don't want them to think it's like the movies i'm like no tell them it's like dr Ro- or like mr robot and tell them it's like swordfish and uh and have some fun with it you know the the big myth from a CISO perspective uh is twofold one it's that we're we're not being proactive um, and secondly, it's that we're not technical. And I think that comes from um, the perspective of someone on, on the outside looking in. It's very hard to be proactive when you had a great plan put together for December and then a vulnerability hits and everything breaks. <laughs> so in the, the world of security, being proactive oftentimes means having a great plan, but being able to jettison it and respond very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then the technical side is um, a, a lack of understanding of broad versus narrow. So there is a certain skill set where you can look at an environment very broadly and say, here's the architecture patterns, here's what we're doing, here's how the pieces fit together. And, uh, and that is a really good skill set that CISO has. It's a really good skill set you see in a good security architect um, with the recognition that you're not going to ask someone like me to get on the console and execute switch commands to put your, uh, put your logging in place and your segmentation in place. So oftentimes folks who come from a technical background don't, I think, appreciate um, the, the technical acumen that comes from being very broad and understand how all the pieces go together. Yeah. Um, and, you know, moving on about a um, few related uh, questions I wanted to, uh, to pick your brain on. Uh, what would you say are the main concerns nowadays that CISOs have? 
you know, I'd, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention ransomware, although I think we're all tired of hearing about ransomware. <laughs> that just, it yeah. seems to hit again and again and again. So ransomware, um, continuity and recovery is, is making a big comeback. I mentioned that earlier, but, uh, on the day that we're, we're talking about this, one of the main cloud providers was down and took down a whole bunch of services with it uh, again. So the, the continuity and recovery side, now that we've moved things to SaaS applications and the cloud hosting is, is a big consideration. Uh, and then much more broadly, just uh, ensuring that security is keeping pace with uh, the direction of business. I mean, we've, we've are now, uh, what, uh, going two years into the two week shutdown <laughs> that just keeps going on and on. A lot has changed in, in supply chain. A lot has changed in, uh, services. And so, you know, a very broad level concern with, with CISOs, especially board reporting CISOs is how is our security practice um, supporting the change in our operating model and how is the security practice uh, providing flexibility for whatever's going to come next. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. I mean, and some of these concerns that you just mentioned are not new, obviously, like reporting to the board and, uh, and others. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely see the shift with what you said about continuity, especially when we talk about cloud, cloud providers and SaaS um, services that we consume. Uh, but thank you. Uh, in your opinion, what are the areas uh, that CISOs nowadays should be most focused on? Or, or is that like basically the same answer as you just provided? Well, so I went from very, very tactical to very strategic with that list. And so to, to drop from very strategic back to very tactical, um, when we look at being flexible, when we look at responding to these threats, when we look at things being up and operational, I mean, you know, bread and butter capabilities are, are still where it's at. Do we have good identity and access management? Um, do we have good access controls? Um, do, we, do we have um, good uh, security uh, culture? I mean, th those types of things never go out of fashion. And then more broadly, making sure that the controls, again, are aligned with where the business is going. And that means, do we have a good understanding of our business? Um, especially if you're a new CISO, especially if you're a CISO in a new business and new, new to your role, uh, a lot of time should be spent just understanding uh, how the business makes money and, and where the real business level risks are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that goes back to alignment with the business, right? You don't want to. One hundred percent. Yeah, you don't want to be misaligned and then uh, fail in some capacity. Um, in your opinion, so it's it's actually a multi-tiered question. What are the most important skills the CISO nowadays should have, in your opinion? And I think we you alluded to that when speaking about the business, um, but I would like to hear your thoughts on that. And then next, where the CISO role is going. So when we, when we look at, um, when we look at the CISO day-to-day -day responsibilities, we clearly have to have a really good control on what is happening. And some of the, the more um, business level skills, of course, and, and some folks need to be strengthened up, right? Basic block and tackling, budgeting, messaging, communication, 
storytelling. Um, on the technical side, you know, there's there's been areas where we've kind of turned a blind eye. I, I think DevOps security, product security uh, are, are skills that CISOs should be focusing in on, uh, especially if they thought, well, the DevOps is outside of our environment. This is our nice tight scope. Well, now everything's outside the environment. So we, <laughs> we need to get a good handle on that. And then you mentioned my blog. One of the areas that I blog about quite frequently is um, design. So design thinking. Um, and by that, I mean, considering how the business works, right? What is the paths our people are taking to, to do the jobs? And considering how the adversaries are getting in, what's the, the path the adversaries are using to attack us? And, and considering the path that... Uh, our IT folks and SecOps folks are using to manage all the stuff. And then considering the audit side to make sure that we've got the right evidence along the way. Um, we really need to think about those four abilities, right? Usability, defensibility, manageability, auditability. We need to think about those four abilities from the lens of creating a very good experience for our employees, our partners, our customers. And, uh, at the same time, frustrating the adversaries, right? Frustrating the adversaries without frustrating our, our users and our IT ops folks. Um, that is, is, in my mind, still an emerging area. We oftentimes think, oh, we need to apply controls and here's our checklist and we'll just go down and, and put them in place. But really stepping back and going, all right, from a, from a human-centric perspective, um, what is the impact that these controls are having and what is the experience that we're giving to, to our workforce and our partners? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. And um, so the, the second portion of your answer related mostly to where the Caesar role is going, correct? Yeah. I, I think very big picture, the CISO role is going to become more and more similar to the, the CIO role, right? CIO role is all about how do we achieve business objectives with IT and how do we give a great user experience? We need to do the exact same thing uh, with the CISO role at the technical control level and at the capability level, as well as ensuring that we've got a very defensible architecture. Okay. So what do you think we will see in the cybersecurity world next then? Oh, plenty of breaches, <laughs> plenty of people doing the wrong things, plenty of things unpatched. You know, we've got uh, we've got some good momentum now that uh, I, I feel like we've crossed a threshold when Biden released his executive order uh, early in in twenty twenty one that said, you know, thou shalt thou shalt do MFA, thou shalt do zero trust, thou shalt do software bill materials. We've reached a point where these security issues uh, are getting recognized at the very highest levels in the United States, uh, as they are in other countries. And, uh, and this is going to put additional regulatory pressure. The idea that we just, you know, do the best we can and everything will work out, uh, as we've done for the past couple of decades. Well, clearly it hasn't worked out. And I don't know that we've got much more runway to, to do it. So a lot of the the future side of things is going to be very quickly, very rapidly uh, maturing and adding discipline to our security practices. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
I hear you on that. And you're referring to the uh, cyber security posture document that the, that the White House has published about a year ago? Wow. Yeah, well, that one was very good. And specifically, I'm thinking about the executive order that came out in May that okay. says all you know, government agencies and all organizations working with government agencies have to do certain certain security things. And the main ones, like I mentioned, was zero trust, multi-factor authentication, mm -hmm. uh, software bill materials. Yeah, and, and I believe that's all part of the this initiative of securing the DOD supply chain, if I'm not mistaken, which CMCC, CMMC is a part of it as well, correct? Spot on. So um, what that means, if, uh, you know, oftentimes people are like, oh, well, I'm not in that supply chain. I don't need to worry. <laughs> but what we've seen is whenever this regulation starts uh, at the top and then it goes to the next suppliers and the next suppliers, the next thing you know, it two, trickles three years, down. Yeah. Not in that, right? Now you're getting this questionnaire saying, if you're going to do business with us, you better be doing the same MMC and these other things. Yeah, it trickles down to, you know, a lot of uh, related uh, ecosystems and, uh, and business sectors, for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. What would you consider or define as innovation in, in our space? Is it more along the line of like a new product, a new technology, or is it more along the lines of introducing new, new practices, methodologies, frameworks, or whatnot? So I'll, I'll, I'll tackle a couple of different things in this. Um, in terms, and recently I was listening, let me, let me start over. So I was listening to a security podcast recently, and they were asked, well, would you rather have plenty of money for your seam? And, uh, and no people in process, or would you rather have great people in process, but a, you know, a very underfunded piece of technology? Um, and I was very surprised. They're like, oh, yeah, we, we want the technology. You know, get the technology, get that right, get all the logging in. We'll worry about the people later. I, I think true innovation in this space is working with the team to get good processes, get good discipline, as well as working with recruiting to get good people in. The, we've spent a lot of time over the past couple of decades focusing very heavily on tech um, at the detriment to good process and, and good skill development. Um, and, uh, and I think that shows if you look at most technologies and you assess, hey, I've got this particular tech. I mentioned SEEM a minute. I got a SEEM. Uh, how many of the features in this product are we using? It's usually around half or less. <laughs> any, any way you slice and dice, if you look at the technologies deployed, organizations are usually using just a fraction of those features, and they usually don't have really good mature processes. So innovation from a, a top-down perspective is around people and process. Uh, we've got to do that. That goes back to the discipline side that I mentioned earlier. Um, on the technology and the product side, we've got uh, a couple different things. One, asset inventory doesn't work. Uh, and every single control framework starts with, give me a good asset inventory. And then everyone says, I don't have a good asset inventory. I guess I can't do anything. <laughs> and, and so we've got to get past this idea that we're going to maintain a static CMDB. And somehow the developers are going to tell us what they've put in. And somehow the IT people are going to keep us up to date. It hasn't worked for, for 25 years. And it's not going to magically start working soon. So we've got to get visibility in the asset inventory in a very dynamic fashion. Just show me everything that's live 
and allowing you to make decisions on that. And there's been some, some good work coming out uh, in different pockets uh, for products that can give you that sort of dynamic view and allow me to apply policy to things I don't even know about, right? <laughs> Just give me control over everything that's, that's touching my environment. So good people and process on the technology side, good visibility for asset inventory. And the third thing that uh, I think is going to be very innovative moving forward is, is unified policy and shared signals. So when, uh, when you look at zero trust, for example, um, if I've got five different applications that are all applying zero trust differently, and one of them notices that I'm doing something suspicious, um, how is that information shared out? Uh, if I've got a whole bunch of asset inventory, how am I making good policy uh, decisions uniformly? We need to create a better backbone uh, for these types of things. It needs to be shared, it needs to be integrated. Um, and there's, there's some work uh, on that process, but that uh, those three areas, I think, uh, would be very innovative and push us forward quite a bit. Okay, thank you. Um, switching gears here as we are almost at the end of our allotted time. Um, so a quick question about vendors. Um, is there any like anything in particular that you're looking for in a vendor? Yeah, so I, I've mentioned a number of times giving back. So needless to say, what I want to see is, is vendors that are contributing to the security industry through good articles, through leading edge security research that is data driven, that isn't just, oh, here's what we think, right? That is data driven research so we can make good decisions. Um, that is contributing back to the industry through open source efforts. So we have good technology that we can build on, contribute on. That is giving back to industry through integrations, that shared signals, that unified policy I mentioned earlier. Also vendors that's giving back to the community. One of the first things I look at as a vendor is, does it support local security B-sides events? Um, does it have folks who are out um, speaking and presenting and sharing information? Uh, you know, I, I want a vendor that is helping raise the stakes and the status uh, of the security industry and community. So, so that's, that's the main thing. Now, behind the scenes, what do we need? We need, you know, the right price, the right product. We need a sales team that's working. We need a customer care team that cares about the customer. <laughs> and I wish these were all no-brainers, but oftentimes they're not, right? So you got you to gotta put the time in and be a good vendor. Um, but providing you are a good vendor, those additional areas are what I look for. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Uh, any specific individuals in the industry, professionals or, or not, that you look up to or that have been uh, most influential to you? You know, there, there's a lot of the, the old guard that I think are, have done a great job uh, in terms of uh, being humble in terms of reducing barriers to entry for people in the industry. Um, and so, you know, I, I think a lot about them, but also, you know, when, when I look at folks who I look up to, it's really not the, the marquee names that you would see on Twitter or see at the stage at, at RSA. What I really look for and what I really look up to is, is people who just deliver excellence in their environments, in their day-to-day -day jobs. So the people in the SOCs who are doing a great job, the people who are running vulnerability management programs, 
the people who are in the trenches with DFIR. When, when I think about someone I look up to, I start with who's actually doing the work and who does the work well. And then I reach out to them and have that conversation. So, you know, to cheers to the people in the trenches. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, any specific media or means that uh, vendors or listener can connect with you online? And I know you have a blog. I know you have a website. Um, any preferred method? Yeah, uh, by, by my blog, there's a contact me there. Um, I'm a Twitter at jdubgorlick. Um, those are my primary means. And, uh, and one of my pinned twi- tweets is, is, you know, how do we tweet uh, or treat customers like people? And how do we treat people better? And so, you know, if, if you want to reach out to me, please feel free to do it. But reach out as a person, right? I had someone, I've got a coffee calendar and someone recently booked time on my coffee calendar. And I thought, okay, I, I don't know you, but I'll, I'll talk to you. It'll be fun. And I get on the call and there was eight different salespeople. There's like the regional manager and another manager and the salesperson who set it up. I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, that's, that's not, not a good approach. So knowing how to balance professional and personal is very important. Uh, certainly reach out, but know which way you're reaching out and what your goal is and be clear about that. Okay, got it. Um one final question. Um, if money was never an issue, what would you do with your life? Oh, spend time hanging out with smart people. Um, pursue projects, art, uh, robotics. I used to have a lot of fun doing robotics. Uh, a, a perhaps not unlimited funds, but sufficient funds. Thing that I'm looking at is traveling around the world. My My wife and I have long thought about just taking a year or two and, and going around the world and, and seeing everything uh, that there is to see. So spending time being creative and travel, that's that's where it's at. Yeah, sounds good. Not sure you could uh, see everything there is to see in one or two years, but uh, pretty sure it would get, um, you know, at some point when you travel a lot, uh, it does get a bit tiring, I, I would say. But uh, yeah, great goals. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I think we can end with that. Thank you so much for taking the time today, Wolf. Uh, it has been a pleasure. I know it took us uh, some time to coordinate that, but I'm glad you you were able to squeeze me into your busy calendar. And <laughs> yeah. and I believe you also run, uh, like in, in that blog, I believe I did see either a podcast or like some video sessions that you're having. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I'm involved with a few different podcasts. Um, one of the ones that we're just about to release a new season on is uh, Tactical Security. We're, this season, we're focusing on uh, the human attack surface. So there's there's that podcast. And there's other videos I post from time to time. But all in all, hey, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the patience and scheduling. And it's been a great conversation. Yeah, same here. Thank you so much.